Last week we were in uh, Philippians chapter 1 and we really focused on uh, verse 21 where the Apostle Paul says, For to me uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he kind of goes in this back and forth and back and forth motion where he's, he's trying to figure out, you know, like, uh, would I, would I want to stay here and have a bunch of fruitful ministry or would I want to die and go be with Christ? And what we talked about was that uh, in order to have fruitful ministry here, like there has to be a sense in which, in that if I go, if I die, like being with Christ is the reward of all rewards. Like it is the thing that could change all of my life, and that would be incredibly amazing to be with him. But all too frequently, we are avoiding death and living for ourselves. We're avoiding death, and we are about our lives. We're looking for a little bit of religion to allow our lives to be better. We're looking for a little bit of morality. We're looking for a little bit of comfort. We're looking for a little bit of whatever. But you can't get that understanding from the scriptures. That's just not what they say. It's just not what it says. What the scriptures say is that Christianity, uh, more specifically, discipleship, to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when I say disciple, I mean you cannot be saved without being a disciple. You can be somebody who's heard the gospel message and yet not be uh, uh, saved, but you cannot be a, 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 a Christian. You cannot be saved without being a disciple. Now, a disciple is someone who's a learner, who's a follower of Christ. They're following him. If you follow someone on Twitter, on Facebook, or somewhere else that you respect, and you follow their moves or how they, they dress, the things that they're purchasing, or the, the great things that they say. It, it's, it's almost, it's virtually the same thing. It's a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of him, and I do what he does. And what happens is the reason why that's so pervasive today and why we have so much uh, lack of charity and violence and, and a lack of civility both in politics and, and publicly and all of these things is because the way of thinking that we have today, the way that we think, is not like a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ, a learner of Christ. We're not looking to, to live Christ, we're looking to live someone else's life. Or, or we're looking to be that one who's followed, and so we're, we're, we've set a course of our own path. But to be a Christian is to be a disciple, and here's the problem with being a disciple, though, is that it's going to cost you something. It's, it's, it's more than going to cost you something. It's being a disciple of Jesus Christ is an all-of-life embedment into the life of Christ. It's living out Christ daily. That's, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it looks like. And where we get mixed up is... In saying, yes, I'm saved by grace, 
And it doesn't matter what I do from here on out. You are saved by grace if you're truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. Sin, past, present, and future has been paid for. But the expectation of the scriptures is that you and I would live Christ, that we would live like Christ. And we miss it over and over again. We will pick it up in verse 27, and I will read the whole thing, and then we'll go back. Verse 27 says this, chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul takes a turn from this is who I am and this is who I want to be. And he really points the spotlight at you and I. And he's pointing the spotlight at us, and he, and he says this only. That this, is, this is it. And so when we, talk about, uh, uh, when we talk as a church about how we are gospel-centered, it's because of statements like this. It's because of statements like this that say only, and it's not just a passing phrase, it's Paul is saying only. This is the only thing that I want from you. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that'll work. It's the only thing that you should be focused on. Only. This is what I want you to be focused on. This is what I want you to look at. You want to know what it means to be a Christian? This is what the Apostle Paul is going to tell us this right now. Only. He says, only let your manner of life be. Let your manner of life be. Now, stop right there for a second. You've got to look at that phrase. Let your manner of life be. It's all one word in Greek. It's, all, it's, it's entirely one word, and it's po po polytumai. There we go. Polytuma? Yeah. That's it. That's the Greek for it. Now that you know that, everyone's like, good, yeah, that's, yeah that'll be useful, right? Okay. Uh, the reason why that's important is because the first part of that word is, is poly which is short for polis, where we, uh, when you think of metropolis, uh, that's what it's talking about. So it's talking about a city or a town. So it, it has this connotation of be somebody who's of a city or a town, and it's really talking about citizenship. Polituma means citizenship. So Paul is saying, only let your citizenship, 
Let the, the way that your life is lived show that your life is lived as a citizen of the kingdom of God, a citizen who has received the gospel, a citizen who believes the gospel wholeheartedly. It is somebody who has allowed the gospel to so embed itself into their lives, and they have taken that on that in many senses, when they're walking throughout their life and so forth, what happens is this, is that the city, the town, the people around them say, they are from another planet in some ways, right? Now, we've all seen Christians that you're like, you're from another planet, all right? You're just a little weird. You're a little off. I don't know what it is. I don't know how you grew up. Um, I get it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to go further with that, but um, you're a little off. You're, you're, you're from another planet. No, this is when somebody looks at you and they, and they say, man, there is something completely different. There's another motivation in that person. That there's another uh, thing that's driving them. Paul is saying to not just be Christian in name only, to not just be somebody who attends church, to not whatever, but he's saying allow the gospel to permeate your life in such a way that it's just like you are living, eating, breathing the gospel in your world. You are exemplifying the gospel. In fact, Gordon Fee says this, as Philippi was a colony of Rome in Macedonia, so the church was a colony of heaven in Philippi, whose members were to live as citizens, as its citizens in Philippi. The whole point of receiving the gospel is that it would totally change the way that people see you, the way that people experience you, the way that different things happen in your life. And here's the problem, is our culture has such an amazing problem, and that problem is this, is that the ultimate value is self-expression. The ultimate value is personal happiness. This is the ultimate value. This is the thing that we should be seeking after and everybody should bow down to, to my feelings, my thoughts, my way of life. All of us do it. Christians do this. You, you show it when you show anger towards somebody who says something against Christianity. That's not a gospel response to that. Every single one of us do this. We wonder where uh, the, uh, the lack of civility, where the incredible violence that we see in our world is coming from. We wonder where that comes from. It's because we live in a fallen world, of course. There's always been violence. But the truth is that our culture, our life has been based on and built on a way of thinking that says the individual matters more than anything. Your individual happiness and in fact, as a church sometimes, hopefully not our church, as a church we have sometimes done the wrong thing, and that is, that is to say that if you come to God and if you give your life to Christ, if you do those things, then He is going to make you a happy individual. He's going to make your family better. He's going to make sure that you get the right job. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to do the, the other thing. And the problem is is that when the wheels fall off and the child dies or the job is lost or you end up in poverty or you end up persecuted, 
You have no theology that even supports how to move on. You have no ability to even understand. Because the only thing that you've been sold is the same bill of goods that our world believes day in and day out. And it produces the anger. It produces the hatred. It produces a life that is, that is filled with filth. And every single one of us in this room is touched by that. And every single one of us in this room has a part in that. So Christians in humility have to take their part. There, there has to be confession on our part that says that I've had a role in the lack of civility. I've had a role in the anger and the hatred that happens here. Because I have not been living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. I have not been living that life. Every single one of us in this room that claim Christ has to come down to that conclusion. When we go to the Lord's table here in uh, uh, a few minutes, that that has to be the thing that we take with us to the Lord's table is, Lord, I have not been living a life that is worthy of your gospel. That does not mean that I, am, that I am not saved. It does not mean that I am not uh, um, welcomed by him. What it does mean is that I have not lived up to what you've already done in my life. I've not lived up to that. I've not lived in a worthy manner. I've not represented Christ well. I've not replicated the gospel in my life. I've not exemplified that. And that becomes a major, major problem. He says, only let your manner of life, your citizenship, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Put it in the opposite direction. Be worthy of the world that we live in. We're not living worthily of our world's good graces. We are living in light of the grace of Jesus. Our world operates on a principle of you do what's right in my eyes and I will, and I will bless you. I'll say nice things about you. I'll give grace to you. If you do something wrong in my eyes, you will be eviscerated in this world. You will be torn apart. You will be leveled. Now think about that just for a second. That is the ethic. That is the, that is the principle of how our world lives. And we have the ability to be people who come in and change that and exemplify something completely different. He says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm. So, what he's talking about is he's saying, so whether the Apostle Paul, this incredible figure in the church, is there in your church, or whether he's away from you, Paul says, I want to have confidence that you're walking in a way that's worthy of the gospel. I want to have confidence that, you, that the way that you walk in Christ is consistently this way. 
And essentially, what he's saying is he's saying, don't just do the church thing. Don't just act this way when you go to church. Because that means nothing. It really means nothing. It's not who you are. That's, that's not really showing who you are. That's not really being honest. When you only are acting in a way that's worthy of the gospel, meaning you don't talk about the things that you do throughout the week. You don't mention the things that you think that you should not be mentioning in church. Or perhaps it's like, you know, I'll just stay disengaged so that I can go to church and feel like I have a connection with God, but I'm just going to continue to be disengaged so that I don't ever have to really feel guilty about where my life is at. That's not discipleship. The Apostle Paul is, is saying, do not be a fake Christian. Do not be somebody who puts on this face as though you're a Christian in life, and yet the only time that that's really taking place is when you're at church or when you're around a Christian friend. Paul says, whether, I'm with, whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent... Don't just do the church thing. Stop being fake. I want you to act in the same way all the time in a way that's worthy of the gospel. So that I may hear of you that you are standing firm. So what's he talking about here? He's saying, I want to know that you are walking in a way that's worthy of the gospel, that you are consistently this kind of person, that you are regularly this person who's walking in this way, and it's, first of all, so there's an authenticity about your life, and then secondly, what's going on is that there is a, a will about your life. You are, you are actually trying you're standing firm. You're not just saying, hey, God, hope you do this in my life at some point. You know, one day I'll get there and I'll stop stabbing people. I mean, I just, and I will just praise Jesus that that has taken place. No, it, it's, he's saying, I want you to stop being fake and I want to hear that you're standing firm. That you're standing firm. Now, why wouldn't we stand firm? We talk about this frequently. Life starts to go better. You get the job, you get the girl, you get whatever. You start feeling better about yourself. You're dealing less with depression. And then you start to say, you know what? I think I can miss a Sunday here or there. I got, I, I got a lot of church in me now. Or you do something else and say, you know what? I'll, just, I'll disengage uh, from the people of God and I'll just, I'll just listen to, to one guy. I'll just, I'll just podcast his, his sermons and it'll be really good. And you might find some good sermons. But that's not standing firm. That's not standing firm connected with the local body. That's not standing firm. Here's some other reasons why, why you may not want to stand firm. And that's because there is persecution. And it's coming our way. It absolutely pales in comparison to anything that's going on probably anywhere else in the world. America is the, is, has the least amount of persecution. Okay, so all of us who are, who are screaming and yelling about that in public need to shut up. Okay? And you're not supposed to say shut up. I should say that if my kids, my kids aren't in here. So I, I need to shut up. How about I'll say that? Okay? 
But what, you know, what's, what's going to be happening? Well, uh, you know, I mean, you've heard the story about the frog boiling in water. You know, just turn up the heat a little bit at a time. And pretty soon you end up in a job where, where now it's like you're in charge. I heard this just recently from one of our guys. You're in charge on a large level. And now uh, these, these sexual ethics are coming down the pipeline saying if you're in charge, you have to hold the line on these sexual ethics. Now, are those really difficult areas to try to discern? Am I supporting this or am I just loving people? I don't know. That's a hard one. We should talk about it. We should pray about it together. You should talk with Christian friends. You should get wisdom. You should read some articles. You should read a book. You should hear from God on that. But, but at the same time, though, there's so many people who are not standing firm. Some of you have a, an incredible gifting towards uh, mercy. You always have compassion. You're always gracious to people. It's an incredible blessing to Jesus' church. It's an incredible blessing. But you end up in situations where instead of holding the line... And, and saying the thing that nobody wants to hear. And I'm not saying that you should say that in an unloving way. I'm, I'm saying even saying it in a loving way, you're unable to do because you have such mercy and compassion on people that you, you, you finally say, you know, well, God is love. And so God is so loving that he would do this, but it's not loving for God to allow people to go to hell with their sin. It's not loving that God would, that God would tell you, you know what, you're fine you're fine because God's rule says that when we've sinned against him, we need the grace of Jesus Christ, which means that I first must repent. I've got to repent of my sin. And when we talk people out of repentance for sin, and I mean any sin, I mean anything, any type of sin, any type of uh, sexual sin, any type of anything, we're not standing firm. So are we standing firm? Are you standing firm? In a biblical way, are you even informed in a biblical way about how life should go? Or do you come up with your own rules and regulations? You know what, if I was God, I'd do this. You're not God, and you don't get to do that. Are you informed? So that I may hear that you are standing firm, the second thing he says is in one spirit. In one pneuma is the word there. So it could mean the Spirit of God, or it could mean just like the emotions, the disposition, the attitude, the way of thinking. I think if we were to ask the, the, the Apostle Paul if he were today, like, did you mean the Spirit, or did you mean the emotions? I think he might say yes, right? I'm talking, I'm, I'm saying that I want you to stand firm. I want your will to be set in me. That you don't move. It's immovable. But then the second thing he'd say is that I want you as a people group. He's talking to a church. I want you people to walk in one spirit, in one disposition, in one attitude. I want you, you to be emotionally connected with what's happening. I want your emotions to be affected by the gospel, and I want that to happen together. You can't live the Christian life alone. You cannot live the Christian life alone. I want you to be connected in one spirit. The third thing he says is with one mind. I want you to be in one mind. Remember what we're talking about is that uh, the word phreneo, which is uh, to think or thinking, 
shows up in the book of Philippians like nine times. It's a lot of times for that word to show up. And Paul is saying, I want you to fundamentally see your mind change so that you're no longer thinking like everybody else does and so that you don't have to send nasty posts or you don't have to live in this way or that way, but that your thinking has changed and as a result, your life is changing. And Paul tells them, I want your mind I want the essence of your life in terms of your thinking, in terms of your feeling, in terms of your heart. I want it to be one with these people. Do you see what's inseparable here? We pull out our Bible and say, it's just me and Jesus. But that letter was written to a church. That letter was written to a group of people. And that letter is saying that if you're going to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, that you're connected with God's people. There's a massive thrust here for that. He says, with one mind. He says, striving side by side. Striving side by side is all one word in the original language. The word there for that is athleo. It's where we get the word athlete. He's saying, in an athletic sense, I want you to strive side by side. Work as a team of athletes toward a common goal, which is living a life that's worthy of the gospel. It's living a life that is worthy of everything that Jesus did, that's worthy of the life of Christ. I want you to strive side by side. I look at this passage a lot because I love that first phrase, which says, only let your manner of life um, uh, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The implications that I missed over the years is basically that that can't happen by yourself. It can't. It won't. It doesn't. It must happen with other people. People. So let's stop for a second and just and ask this question. Are we standing firm or are we waffling? Are we in one spirit? Is there, is, is there an, an emotive connection with other people by the power of the Holy Spirit within the church? It's not a loose connection with God's people. It is a dead set connection that's just like I'm one with them. I know what they're, uh, they're thinking on some level. Are we one with one in mind? Are we striving as a team? Is there a level of teamwork in our church toward the things of God in our city? I got to talk with uh, all of the elementary principals in the city of Salem the other day, which was nerve-wracking. Um, I was standing with our guys, like Brandon Haverlin and Ryan, and I, and I, and I told the guys like right before I was about to go in like oh my gosh I'm a little bit nervous like I'm just uh, um, I'm standing in front of all these people and this is kind of crazy and um, whatever and Brandon says to me hey dude everything's gonna be fine just don't screw it up whatever you do do not screw it up it's like you're such a jerk right now shut up I did, there I did it twice um, such a hypocrite but um, the reason why I bring that up is that as I, I, I 
walked away from that meeting, and it went really awesome. I mean, we just talked about our THX event where, where we're hoping to serve around 800 people uh, for Thanksgiving. We're going to take a, a meal on Thanksgiving Day along with a tree and gifts, and it's going to cost about $60,000. Oh, and it's going to take about, Brandon thinks it's about 1,000 volunteers. I don't think it's going to take that many, but um, I don't know if you've looked around the room, but there are 1,000 people in here. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I mean, if, I, if I'm honest, I just say, like, I'm worried like, as a leader, sometimes you can be out there and be like, we're going to go, you know, and you're just, and then you go, what was I thinking? Oh, my gosh. And there was a little bit of that feeling. I go to this meeting, and I'm just like, oh, I just put this out there that, like, we want to serve this many people. I told every principal in our city, they represent, they stand over every child in our city that isn't homeschooled or going to private school, Right? I wasn't a joke about homeschoolers. That'll come later, but um, <laughs> always has to happen. Always has to happen. Um, they represent that. And what, he, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. To, to live, to, to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, there is this connection that can't be fake, that has to be standing firm, we can't have a bunch of flakes who are taking on roles for THX. And by the way, THX is just a foot in the door. We just got to talk to every principal. We, and our, our hope is to have one person in every school someday. Maybe not all of them are from our church, but one person in every school that's pastoring there, that knows those kids, that's talked to those teachers, so that when those teachers see a kid that's like doesn't have clothes or, or needs something or just needs a friend, we get to come alongside of this kid because somebody was there and they heard the story. But what has to happen is that we've got to stand firm together and we've got to be in one spirit together and we've got to be of one mind together and we've got to strive side by side together. Like there's an athletic sense of, of which, like I don't want to let my teammates down. Like I want to be there. I want to, I want to be there for that play. I want to be a part of that. Our problem is, is that we are so involved in our own personal lives. Now, let me just say, you're an involved father in your kids' lives. That is awesome. You should do that. You should be less involved in work and more involved in your child's life. Should you be involved in your family? Should you be loving your wife? Should you be loving your husband? Absolutely. Good things. But we should also be modeling mission together. What does it look like to be on mission together with our kids? What does it look like to serve side by side? What does it look like to live a life that's worthy of the gospel? It happens together. And if, and if some of us are doing our own thing and we haven't let the gospel convict us, like all of us, like everyone in this room, that calls Outward Church Home should be asking themselves right now, am I a flake? Am I somebody who signs up for events and doesn't show up? Or am I somebody, I just know myself and I know I'm not going to show up, so I just don't sign up, right? Thank you, maybe. And am I somebody that's engaged with the body of Christ in such a way that I want our city to see this God to see him in all of his glory as the church of God comes and is a display of the kingdom of God 
Or am I engaged in my own stuff, in my own time? The only things I pray about are, are, are my things. Has your prayer life included other people? Has it included the salvation of your friends? I talked to somebody recently. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. And what I was convicted about is this, is that I sat down with him and I, and I, and I shared the gospel with him. And he told me, I said, have you ever heard the story about Jesus? No. Okay, so let me start back in the garden. You know about the garden and Adam and Eve and the apple and, you know, whatnot? Nope, never heard it. First of all, I was convicted because I'm like, dude, I've, I've, I've probably known the guy for like 10 years. We just don't see each other very frequently. I was like, dude, I should have I done this a long time ago. And I know that he's worked for Christians. So, so, so let me ask you, is there any amount of, of us saying, like, the, the people in my life need to know about eternal life in Jesus Christ? Is there any amount of me caring about whether people are saved in Christ? And this may be the time when we feel guilty and things like that, but that's not the goal of this sermon. So we're not trying to create guilt. What we're trying to say is this, is that that's the level of conviction that when we begin to sense that, we begin to say, I, like, the good news of Jesus Christ is so good. It is life-transforming. It has given me purpose. It has given me a passion. It has given me something to live for even in the midst of pain. And so, therefore, I go and I seek for ways to share this good news about Jesus Christ with other people. Is there any of that together as God's people, side by side, do we care about others or are we just praying about our own stuff? And you should pray about your stuff. But does anything weigh heavy on you? He says, for the faith of the gospel. So we're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We are, that what we're doing is we are uh, living this life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is for the faith of the gospel. What, so what is he saying? He, he's not just saying, I want you to have faith in, that Jesus died for you. He's not just saying, like, I want you to have faith that uh, Jesus was, was buried and uh, risen from the grave. I'm, I'm not just saying that I want you to have faith that God loves you. I'm not just saying that any of just these things. He's saying that there is an all of life, an all encompassing, a permeating uh, type of faith that goes in and throughout your life. It comes out of every pore of your body to the point where you're just like, you're living the faith of the gospel and you're contending for it. You're contending for it. For this, your life is about the gospel. I was in a class the other day. I had this professor. He dropped these incredible truth bombs uh, in class the other day. I was like, oh, my gosh. That's so good. He was talking, and he was saying, you know what we're encouraging folks towards is not just faith in Christ, but it is the faith of Christ. 
It's the faith of Christ. Now, why would we say that? Because of this, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four stories about Jesus. They're called Gospels for a reason. In fact, N.T. Wright believes that in, uh, in those days when those were written, they intended that it wasn't just a, an abbreviated story, although you could tell the story of the Gospel very briefly, but the Gospel in its fullness includes the story about Jesus throughout those books. It is the story of Jesus, and indeed, throughout the entire entirety of Scripture, yes, it is God's unfolding plan of redemption for His people, and its ultimate consummation in His kingdom being fulfilled. But the Gospels tell the story of Jesus Christ. And so what gets missed a lot of times is that when we're talking about the Gospel, we're saying, oh yes, the story about the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, I know that. We'll celebrate that on Easter but the thing that we do miss is this, is that it's not just a piece of my life. It's not just a piece of that story. It is the life of Jesus Christ. It is the way that he lived his life. Jesus isn't just an example of, oh, you'll never do this. Watch me do this, guys. Watch me do that. I'm going to heal this person. I'm going to be nice to that person. I'm going to do all this stuff. You'll never be able to do it. That's why I went to the cross. See you later. No, the, the story of the gospel is put there to say, no, Jesus, yes, he is our substitute. Yes, he goes to the cross for us. Yes, he is the one who goes to the cross because we don't reach his standard, but he's still saying, I want you to walk as I walk. How does Jesus walk? By faith. In the power of the Holy Spirit, that life is available to you and I. Not in every specific way, because Jesus' calling is different, so we need to be careful with that. We'll talk more about that in Philippians 2. But we must walk as Jesus did, striving side by side for faith, for the faith of the gospel. We're not just saying it's just, just have faith in this story of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, but it's the, the life of Jesus Christ. We're contending for that. He says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So as a result of everything that I've told you, I, I, I want you to stand, I want you to do all these things, and I want you as a result with this level of faith, with this level of confidence, to not be frightened, to not be scared, to not be terrorized by anything that's happening. Do not be intimidated. And how can Paul say that? Because he's in a Roman prison. He's being put on trial. It's because the, the world around him is saying that Caesar is Lord. And Paul comes in and he tells the gospel message, which means this. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's the ruler over all things. He's over Caesar. Our world is saying today, my self-expression is Lord. The way that I want to live is Lord. 
the way that I want to act. Do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. And you'll see the results of this play out in our culture over and over and over again. It is chaos creating. Because self is Lord. Self-expression is Lord. The Apostle Paul comes in and says, Jesus is Lord. And so when we come to the table of life and we say, I reject your assertion that you are Lord over yourself or over this world. I reject the uh, assertion that we are here without any type of binding rule or law. I reject the idea that I am just the result of some accidental germs coming together in a puddle and some in incredible explosion. I, I reject that idea for Jesus. And I tell you that there is somebody that does care who you are and what you do. And I tell you that that, that, that person of Christ is so loving and so cares about you and so desires to have relationship you, with you that he was willing to be put to death. He was willing to go uh, to the cross even though it was absolutely unjust. It was absolutely unjust suffering. Even though there was no reason why this person, Jesus, should have been executed he was executed uh, through no fault of his own. But it says that he's also God. He's God in the flesh. So he's not just a person, but he's God in the flesh. So it's not just an example. It's meaningful. And it's so meaningful because of this. Because he predicted what was going to happen. He said this is going to take place. He said, this is what they're going to do to me, and this is how it's going to take place, and then in three days I'm going to rise. And so he's resurrected. And as a result, he has the ability, he has the de facto lordship, he has the de facto uh, authority, he has the prerogative in my life. And I want you to know that this truth that I have found. When our world says over and over again, truth cannot be found, it is, it is expressed by each individual person. That's a life that leads to chaos, but real truth comes from Jesus Christ, the God-man. And he, he not only lived a perfect life, but he chose to go to the cross. And you can receive that by putting your whole trust in him all of life, making all of life about him and see how God changes your life. Do you know what kind of hope is in that? Do you know what kind of hope is involved in that? What happens is this, is that when we, when we come to the table and we're not afraid, I'm not afraid it's easy to be afraid. Paul should have been afraid. It's easy to be afraid in those situations. But when we come to the table and we're not afraid, 
because we've wholeheartedly put our trust in Jesus Christ. What happens is this. There's a response. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. What's that mean? It means damnation. It does. I'm not going to lie. It means that there's people that are going to talk with you. This is what I this is what I believe it means. There's people that are going to talk with you. They're going to see such confidence in you that how so sure you are of this Jesus person, God man, that there's going to be a level of fright in them. There's going to be a level uh, a, a a level of terror in their life that says The possibility of damnation is real. And I need to get with this Jesus guy. The possibility of this happening, I need to know this. I need to know. Tell me more about your story. So it's a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And both of those are from God. And that from God. Both of these things come from God. God is the, the righteous judge. He will judge the living and the dead, and that should freak us out. But it should also motivate us towards living a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, if, if you claim to be a Christian, is this any part of your life that you would say, I want to live a life that is in relation to the gospel so much that it's just, it permeates my life. Are you just doing church right now? When people are looking, are you just doing church? There's grace for sin. You, you involved in sin, no one knows? There's incredible grace for that. It comes straight from God himself through Jesus Christ. So there, there does not need to be any fear. But are you somebody who's Christian in name only? Are you somebody who is not walking with Jesus on a daily basis? Are you somebody who doesn't give a hoot about anybody who doesn't know Jesus? I want you to know I do not believe that that is a good place for you to be. I don't believe that that has anything to do with discipleship. That's being discipled by the world. And you should put your faith in Christ. Not once, but in an ongoing fashion with the faith of Christ throughout your life. Have you done that? Number one. Number two, have you ever told anybody? Because this is to be done together. And so I want to say this. If you're somebody who says, that's where I'm at, you need to start today by telling somebody and just say, I've had this weak sauce faith. It's gone nowhere. I've just been a church attender. You should write that down on a connection card. You should tell your community group leader, but if you're not in a community group, you should get into a community group leader and then tell them. You should get in community. You should connect with me. You can send me an email, matt at outwardchurch.com. I'll connect you with the right people. You can go to Connect Central. You, you can whatever. I'm encouraging you to take a step today toward faith in Christ that says, I want to be known and I want to know other people. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, my, uh, my hope this morning is not for shame or guilt in the lives of these people, but Lord, that they would sense a deep love and affection from you through your gospel. Lord, that they would respond out of a sense of, of, of feeling loved. So, Lord, we're, we're asking that you do amazing things in the lives of these people here today. Lord, I'm praying for those people that are on the fence, that have been waiting for a while, that have not connected, that have not invested, that have not been engaged or plugged in. And, Lord, I pray that they'd come to see that this community of people is, is a, about encouraging one another toward love and good deeds in Christ, in you. That it would be about exemplifying your life, your sacrificial life. Lord, would you do that in our lives? Would you enable us to be people who are absolutely passionate for your gospel and that it permeates everything in life to an incredible degree. Lord, you are calling us to so much more. You are calling us to so much more than church attendance. I pray that we'd answer. It's in your name we pray. Amen.